Hey everybody, we have a new Facebook page which we will update when new episodes are available. Just search for and like Movies Charles Hasn't Seen on Facebook. If you really enjoy the podcast and want to help us out, please rate and review it on iTunes. Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 9. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And as friends, we discovered Charles enjoys movies, but other than major blockbusters from the last 15 years, he hasn't seen any. So as good friends, we decided to expose them to personal favorites and cinematic classics. And this week, we watched the 1968 movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. (laughs) So Charles, what was this movie about? What was this movie about? Literally everything. What wasn't this movie about? Literally, yeah. Uh, So... On a purely like story standpoint, uh, the movie begins with pre-human apes, uh, and they discover this big rectangular black monolith, uh, and gain the epiphany to use bones as tools. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> Cut to the future. Cut to the future, and a uh, man has ascended into space after millions of years of evolution. Uh, and development, uh, and you see a scientist um, traveling to a space station on his way to the moon. Uh, He reaches the moon, and um, it's like a secret mission. They found a monolith, uh, and they believe it to be of extraterrestrial design. Uh, So they go up to it uh, and kind of try to analyze it, and it just emits this really loud shriek uh, and then cut to 18 months later, and you see a spaceship traveling to Jupiter uh, with two astronauts and three more in hibernation, as well as um, a super intelligent AI, HAL 9000, accompanying them. Uh, and then after some buildup, HAL reports that something is going to go wrong in the ship and they have to fix it. Um, but They analyze the thing, and apparently it's all working in order, Uh, and they report to Mission Control, and this HAL 9000 supposedly has given an erroneous uh, report here, and so they're all suspecting that the HAL might be defective and um, decide that if nothing goes wrong, they have no choice but to disable it. Um, And so once they carry... How suggests that they need to replace the part that wasn't effective because it'll inevitably break according to its analysis. Um, But it might just be a cover so that it can murder one of the astronauts. So the guy goes out to replace the part. Um, It kills the astronaut. um, And the other guy goes out to recover his body and comes back. And you have the iconic... Um, I'm afraid I can't do that Dave scene where it won't let Dave back into the ship. Um, but Dave fortunately has a manual emergency airlock he can get into, goes back in, shuts off Hal, uh, and in the process finds out that the secret motive of the, of the mission was that uh, the monolith from the moon had beamed a signal out to Jupiter and they wanted to investigate it because it's their first sign of contact with uh, extraterrestrials. Um, and so now Dave is the only. S- uh, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, what, you, no, they, like, what they suspect, the stop, what they suspect yeah. to be extraterrestrials. No, and, like you're getting to the point where the movie just like. Goes yeah, off we're, the rails. we're going. Right. Uh, and so Dave is the lone survivor. Hal had killed the other three hibernating scientists, and he reaches Jupiter finally. Uh, Maybe. Finds, 
Well, you yeah. see Jupiter yeah. there. He finds a monolith and uh, rides through some sort of stargate of colors <laughs> um, for 20 minutes. <laughs> 90s Kurt Russell stargate. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And ends up in a like classical European bedroom where he watches himself age um, all the way to his own death. Then he finds a monolith in that European room. Uh, and then it shows him, or it shows a, a space fetus um, <laughs> that uh, is superimposed with the Earth. And then the movie ends. <laughs> yep, but those are the events. Yeah. <laughs> Try not to editorialize him too much. <laughs> right. I, well, I mean,. So, so you, 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 when you just lay it out like that, right? Like you lay out the stuff that happens in two thousand one. It sounds semi incoherent, right? Like it's these three sections that narratively have loose connection to one another. Um, well, but I'm but before see, we. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, well, I was going to talk about how that that's how a lot of people view this movie. Right. Though. Right. I yeah, think that so. surface <laughs> level, surface yeah. level. That's what it looks like. That's not clearly. There's a lot more to it. Uh, but that. maybe we should go back to so charles you you actually chose this movie which is um, abnormal for us um <laughs> so can you tell us about like what why <laughs> it, it's definitely a movie i've been curious to see for a while because yeah. of kind of the reputation surrounding it yeah. but i was maybe a bit apprehensive also because of the reputation surrounding it <laughs> yeah. um but you know a friend had found out that it was playing in a theater nearby and so i thought this would be a great opportunity to catch it um, I always love, you know, watching movies in the theater uh, rather than at home. So I thought this would be the perfect opportunity and it'd be a great movie to cover uh, for the show. Yeah. yeah. And I, I jumped on that opportunity too. Yeah, yeah. seeing it in the big screen is awesome. Yeah, I was uh, stunned that you picked this movie. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I've been wanting to do a Kubrick movie since we decided to do the show. This uh -huh. was low on my list. <laughs> Not of like movies that I like, but of ones that I would choose to. Yeah, this is like advanced. Kubrick. This is advanced Kubrick, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah like this is this, advanced movie. Yeah, this is general. a challenging movie. There's yeah. a lot going on. I'm sure a lot that I don't understand. I was pretty convinced when you picked it that you would hate it. Yeah. But I, I, did you hate it? Did you like this movie? Okay, so one thing I always grapple with when I go into these movies is the sort of public perception of it and how I feel like I should react to a movie. Um, it's been the case with like Vertigo and you know all these movies that are very well known and like you know I hear about their reputation a lot. And this one, the reaction to it seems to be a lot more mixed yeah. where it's definitely regarded as like you know a cinematic classic. It's on all the lists. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I also hear a lot of people saying that it's completely unwatchable or that it's very strange and hard to process and all that. So I, mean, I felt like I went into this one. ranked as like the best sci-fi movie of all yeah, time. Yeah, like, very, it's up there. It, it's okay, up there. I didn't check that part, yeah. but yeah. anyway, I feel like I went into this one with as clean a palette as I could get for a movie that has, you know, a 50-year reputation. Uh, and, yeah. man, I was blown away by this movie. Really? Like, it might be one of my favorite movies, and it seems like as close to a perfect movie 
as I've seen, I feel like. like wow. I was I'm very surprised, surprised by it. I'm surprised by Yeah, I was surprised by how fun. much I liked it too, but like... I, mean, I saw Charles' reaction getting out of the theater. So yeah, yeah, I was just okay. like so blown away he by was, this movie. Yeah. Wow. Uh, cool. Like I had to sit there for a few minutes after it was over and just let the Blue <laughs> Danube waltz play a little longer. Um, like this movie felt like... It's the closest I've seen a movie get to being like museum tier fine art. I feel like that's my um, brains. Like and I, I reacted. Yeah, I, <laughs> I very rarely face. get this sort of. I don't think I've ever reacted this way to a movie before. Actually, where I just have this kind of feeling of awe and reverence toward wow. what I'm seeing on screen. Yeah, I don't have enough hyperbole for for my reaction <laughs> to this movie. Um, but I got the same feeling as when I step in front of like a painting that I really like. There's just something about this movie that like triggers all the right aesthetic reflexes um, that I get when I see art that I really enjoy. Um, it was just a very spectacular experience. Like the the first scene in space uh, where you see the shuttle approaching that, oh, the space the station. Uh, and the Blue Danny the waltz is it's playing. It's such a great shot. Yeah. Like, it's there's gorgeous. that part where, like, I'm, like, absorbing in the beauty of the scene and the music is amazing. This is where the theater experience really lent a lot to watching this movie. Like, I'm very glad I saw this in theaters because the music, like, is really, it, it's much louder, you know. It has a much better effect in the theater. And so it really feels... I can feel the it. version that we saw also had the original overture at the beginning, yeah. which is yeah. like three minutes without a visual, which is yeah. amazing, right? It, it, yeah, it's so like like that. That music at the beginning is not the waltz, right? Like it's this discordant, it's, atonal, yeah. Yeah. you know, arrhythmic sound. Like it's barely. It's a song. almost like a very yeah. unsettling, like perversion of an orchestra tuning up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but there's like these electronic sounds in it too. Like it's clearly manipulated electronically, and it and it goes on for so long, right? It's yeah. it's three minutes, and you're sitting. It feels in, long, yeah. right? And you're sitting <laughs> in the dark, and it feels. Like, I mean, this is a point I wanted to raise later on, but I think that it, it's relevant here. Like Kubrick spends a lot of time taking away language in this movie, yeah. taking away logic, and that song doesn't conform to any of the rules or the logic of music yeah. or what we expect to hear when we hear a song and it, it primes us so well for what happens in this movie it, yeah. it's just it's so disorienting just that's right a, off that's the a bat. lot of what i love so much about this movie is that i just have a very visceral reaction to everything that's going on on screen uh it's just kind of a very natural thing so like this starting overture was kind of a strange it's, i mean obviously it's a very strange way to start the movie but it really sets this mood of foreboding yeah, uh, and like, it makes everything seem more grand and scary. Yes, it's it, scary. It, just, is right. it really locks you into the right mindset yeah. to get going with. Yeah, same with that. They have that uh, like chanting sound, like when they're approaching the monolith on the moon. Yeah, every time you, every time the monolith. Yeah, shows, it's um, terrifying. Right. It's yeah, it's, it's so creepy. Music. It's yeah. so scary. Uh, that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, it easily. is, and like that, and it's made by that soundtrack because right? yeah. there's no dialogue at all. Yep. And there's no other sound. It's just that weird chanting. Yeah, Kubrick does a very brave thing of not having space sounds. Yeah. And uh, like the airlock scene. Man, that holds up so much better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this whole movie actually like holds up really it's incredible. well. Yeah, like the uh, most obviously that scene that you mentioned when they 
first get into space and the you know the ship approaching the Pan America spaceship yeah. Yeah. approaching. Okay, so that dates a little, but, <laughs> but that's I'll, I'll let that slide. Great yeah. about it though yeah. that it's like this modernist thing, and you see this sort of like you know this consumer brand in, all over in outer space. Yeah, it's, it's not beautiful just, to see because yeah, it makes it yeah. seem like this space travel is very casual, right. for humanity. Well, and he's he's like on a business trip, right? Like yeah. he's just yeah. going up there because the the boss needs him to. Yeah. I love this yeah. optimistic future where we just like go into space without it being that big of a deal. Right. Well, and it this was made in 1969, and he's the only conversation he really has is with a bunch of Russians. And there's like it was oh, yes yeah, so, before yeah. we landed on the moon even. Right. And so yeah. it's clearly Kubrick is saying, look at we completed the cold war everyone is fine like people the russians well, there's definitely like some yeah there's there, some, you could see like a tension there but, tension. They, they, but they, they were friendly bases, right they yeah and he's saying stuff yeah. like next time you're in the states come and visit and things like yeah. that so russians can come yeah. to the states yeah, yeah <laughs> like, no it's a very like the it's a very like positive and modern movie through that section right that sure. short portion of it yeah yeah but uh yeah, so I, I noted that more on this viewing than I have on other ones. Um, yeah. Both the the branding, because there's a Hilton in there too, like yeah, the, the and special, Howard Johnson and Howard Johnson. Yes, um, and uh, Bell Bell Atlantic. Uh, yeah, when he, he just, makes its phone call, he makes a phone call. Yeah, I I love those details in the movie. Yeah. Actually, this is sort yeah. of like space. It's been conquered, and it's also like been commercialized. <laughs> right, and that's like such nice like tiny details uh, like yeah that. which is yeah. cooper's calling card right tiny details yeah <laughs> that's yeah. that's what he does um, um do you want to talk about the beginning yeah the i think we kind of need to talk about all of it yes let's okay. talk about the beginning so i um it's been a while since i'd seen this movie i'm really glad i got to see it mm -hmm. on on the big screen i had a very like negative reaction to the beginning when you first saw it or this time which around this beginning? time around really so the the ape the, the prehistoric part yeah well, okay um, that was probably my least favorite part of the movie. And yeah, so I that feel like it, aged it also the worst. doesn't. Yeah, that did not age very well. Those monkeys are really loud. They are. But that's not why. That's not why I had such a negative reaction to it. Um, what What bothered me was more like where that comes from, um, and so there's like an interesting history to this sort of like view of like early man, and so it's like a very like oh okay sure. Uh, 1960s and this kind of view like held even into like the 80s and so mm -hmm. where, where this all comes from is um this like in i want to say like the 20s or something there was a london zoo and the london zoo imported um uh, a bunch of apes i believe they were oh, i forget what species they were um but they were they, they put these apes in this enclosure and they had like a, a bunch of them and they it was one of the first like ones where they were like hey let's like not just put them behind bars <laughs> let's like some stuff in here yeah let's have some stuff in here so they built this like little rock mountain <laughs> and they they put all these uh apes together and um with without thinking they had this like really terrible like gender imbalance and it was like a really large oh. population of of these creatures that they, they put together. So what occurred was a complete massacre. Oh God. <laughs> and uh, at first they were like really concerned about it, but then it became like a really like popular thing oh, to like no. go. Cause in addition to being like a massacre, it was also like an orgy and like for the time being, or for that like time period that was like insane and like pornographic. And so like yeah. people were going to like see this. So what all this like- What time period was this? Uh, I want to say it was like in the twenties. Okay. Um, and so what happened was all this like crap science came out about that event. And so the science, uh, 
one of the scientists at the at the time theorized like this is what early man is like that sure. when there's uh when they're put into a situation like this where there's a, a lot of people in a small amount of space they start wars and so they like they extrapolate the story out of like war, war is a natural state combat is war, a natural state yeah yeah so men mm -hmm. like men and like er, early men like this is like war is is their mo yeah well and, and of course modern evidence contradicts that yeah, of course. Like, directly. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you put like these creatures in this horrible condition and then they yeah. start murdering each other and you're like, well, <laughs> this this is their natural state. It's like <laughs> they're murdering each other. So that that's like their reaction that I had to this is like this is based on a lot of like really bad science is like really problematic because because of that. Um Right. I, it's also quietly like um intelligent design movie. <laughs> and <laughs> That that bothered me too, but, yeah, but less the, less the so. The designer is uh, yeah. is a alien and a metaphor, really. Yeah, but so yeah. like there's a celestial being, right, that we can't even conceive of. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Which I mean, yeah. if, I don't know what Kubrick's religious beliefs were, but this movie certainly does nothing to contradict. Well, it's Arthur God. C. Clarke is the author. Well, he, right? Kubrick gets a writing credit. Yeah, because yeah. they they change a lot. <laughs> Although they had disagreements about the film too, because mm -hmm. like. Arthur C. Clarke was like, well, there's this additional text because he, he wrote the book, obviously. Yes. And Kubrick was just like, no, you just need to watch the movie. What's on screen is what happens. And he's right. Yeah. Kubrick is right there. Yeah. And, and we, I think we know that Kubrick is not that concerned with being yeah. loyal to the source material. Yeah. Like, you look at The Shining and like yeah. it made Stephen King angry <laughs> because yeah. it was so disloyal. But th this third I found to be like really problematic because it's, it's based on like real crap science. Yeah. And it the view of the like human's natural state as war is like completely immoral <laughs> yeah well it's yeah. in yeah. incorrect right yeah. it's just like not a correct statement of yeah well, how, well it's the like, same people function. who are like well you know we it's sort of like the italian futurists are like the same way right so mm -hmm. they all become fascists because they're like oh technology is awesome and if we start a war all our technology will advance even faster right. it's like well if you uh, pour all the government's money into advancing weapons of course they're going to get better weapons and right. like yeah, so right. the uh, italian modern modernists like had the same thing and right. like this is again what's problematic about modernism too where it's like well as long as technology keeps advancing that's great um <laughs> well, I mean, we, same... we do get a bit of a rebound with with hell but yeah like, yeah but so... the, the the premise of the movie is that like this is like man evolves from this really problematic moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean yes and no. Like because the the initiating incident isn't they learn how to make war. The initiating incident they learn how to use tools. That's what this movie's really about. Yeah, but the tool is a weapon. The tool. I mean, yeah. the tool is a weapon. and It's also a tool, right? And like yeah. they they go from once they learn how to use that tool, they also start grooming. They also that's the first time we see children is after yeah. they they learn the tool. Yeah. and I think that's less than a commentary on man making war specifically yeah this is a commentary on man's relationship with our tools and the the large point in my mind that kubrick is making uh is that we need to make that next leap right that man is losing control of his tools mm -hmm. right and and i think that which that, does it, which is what happens right right like and you see it like in in big and small moments throughout the movie once they get into space like the first yeah one of the first shots we see in space is the the pen exactly the pen floating this tool by. of man you know floating around right which is yeah. a cool shot and it's been lost like from him right so yeah. yeah here's this tool that he doesn't uh, have control of anymore it was uh, i just looked it up they're ba baboons they're, so baboons. they're they're not apes but okay but that's... still that's where this like comes from 
Right. Well, I mean, that, yeah. yeah, that's what that idea that, yeah. that, right, that that comes from. But I think that Kubrick is interested in other things. Like, I don't read this as a movie about war. Uh, I don't think so either. But that first third, I think, is, like, really problematic. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, just yeah. incorrect in that respect. But I think yeah. his larger point about tools and our relationship with them is profoundly correct and important and really what really what the movie's about i mean and and that's and then, and that's where you see its dna in other films right because the the hal character you can draw a straight line from hal to blade runner to the matrix to ex machina to terminator Ter- terminator yes absolutely yeah, I mean, every ai yep. story has to trace its roots back to hal in some way or right other. this one's almost this one's better in a lot of ways though because Hal's more just this like panopticon yeah he's he's not embodied like the terminator is right well and he's not i mean he's violent but he's not violent in you know that in your face sort of way yeah like the terminator comes a lot from sort of like the sort of frankenstein and like golem right kind of things right well and and, yeah and and, and further trace back the roots of the story (laughs) that's a good point yeah Yeah, but how how's interesting because he's again like he's much more of like a prison to Mm -hmm to the characters right like then, he's keeping them out yeah you, you can't i can't do that right yeah uh yeah so i think that that is it is an interesting part of the interesting part of the movie and i cooper kind of goes a bit deeper than what you would see in a movie like the matrix or terminator because his point is not just that our ai is getting out of control it's that yeah. everything is and that one you, you see it also in that opening scene when the stewardess is struggling to walk when the, the flight attendant, space attendant, whatever the yeah. correct nomenclature would be in space, <laughs> she's struggling to walk. You see the same thing when they have basically baby food that they're feeding them. There's long instructions for how to use the bathroom. Yeah. Right? We get into space. Funny scenes. Yeah, that was a pretty good That was the fun, that the was only, a good joke. The only, fun, the only <laughs> joke in the movie, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we get into space and we have to relearn basic things, the basic activities of life. Mm-hmm. Are un- it's so unnatural for us exact- to be out there. Exactly. So the the because spaceships look to the prehistoric man as whatever the next thing is will look to us, right? It has to. Yeah. We have to make that kind of leap. Is I think what he's saying, and yeah. that's what the floating space baby is, right? Like yeah, that's the experience going through the wormhole. Is that it, it? It is a place that is past language and reason. Yeah, that we need to reach, and he drills that point home over and over again throughout the movie. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting because, like, how comes... So this is, like, three years after um, Alphaville, the Godard movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, have you seen that? No, I've not seen that one. Okay, Charles, you haven't seen that. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah, you're not a big Godard fan. <laughs> yeah. um, so Godard... Uh, it, it's an interesting, like, science fiction noir film all his films are noir films yeah of <laughs> course <laughs> um but what it's it becomes clear throughout the it takes a while to get there because it's a good good art film um <laughs> but there's this artificial intelligence that's like controlling this society mm-hmm. um but it's a very like 1960s view of computers mm-hmm. so it's like the reel-to-reel uh computers so like they they end up going into i guess what would be like a server rack now um and you just see like all this like tape tape spinning um but the narrator of the film is also the computer okay and it's awesome what they what they did for the voice in the french film was they they had a guy who had had a um 
his larynx removed. Yep. And he used one of those uh, voice boxes. Okay. And and he voiced the computer. And so you get this like super just distorted. Mm -hmm. uh, right, like a computerized robot. Voice yeah, thing. and it's like it's very unsettling, and you don't know like what's going on because he's like the narrator, but you also get this like really strange mm -hmm. voice. And it's not until like late in the film that it's revealed that it's like this computer that's getting essentially just like running this dystopian society. Right. Mm -hmm. And. But it, like it dictates law and like court cases and well, I mean that that, that sounds a, a lot like Asimov, right? Like that's the yeah. end of iRobot. <laughs> They've created that society like for yeah. the universe. Yeah, <laughs> that supercomputer. But then it's interesting because that's like three years before, and that's like yeah. you get like a computer AI in a movie mm -hmm. in 1965, and yeah. then three years later, I think I read that how. the concept of yeah. like intelligent robots wasn't new to 2001. No, no, was, certainly not. I mean, like. I think someone mentioned Lost in Space. I don't know if that was like a 50s or 60s show or something like that. Yeah, so that, yeah, it was. It was in the 60s. Um, so, but they have a robot. So, but I, th I think there's it's a difference like a, it's between... It's a friendly robot. Yeah, yeah. Th there's a difference though between like robots and like intelligent computers. And I think intelligent okay. computers is like, a, that's like a very 60s thing. Because you don't really get computers until like the late 50s. Yeah, yeah. And it disembodies yeah. the intelligence, right? Yeah. Like that. that's yeah. kind of the creepy thing about Hal, right? Is that he is everywhere, right? Well, what I also... Yeah. It was also uh, the first time I, I read this, at least. I don't know the full historical background of this. Um, it was the first time they had the robot or AI have a human-like voice instead mm -hmm. of a very obviously robot or process voice, like with the voice box. Yes. Right. And so that also would have been very unsettling to have this artificial entity that sounds like it's a living human, at least to some degree, uh, talking to you and trying to kill you right yeah well, the voice acting's killer yes in it too. the guy uh his yeah. name is douglas rain who right. knows what else he's in but uh, uh, uh he's like he kills it in yeah. this movie like, yeah that makes the movie for sure yes but, uh, yeah. it, to a significant degree yeah it's yeah, like absolutely these sort of uh it's such a subtle performance right because mm -hmm. it, it's like a bit stilted like it's just like a bit off yeah yeah, yeah. like he's considering each word the second before he says it. Yeah. He says it. And then he says it. Yeah. And it's yeah, so cool to do that. And it pays off later on when Hal dies, right? When he removes his logic yeah. core. It's terrifying. It's so creepy. And like yeah. and the, the Well, it's creepy because he can't adjust his emotions. Right. Or the emotion in his voice. You kind of get the emotion from the words he's saying, right. the frequency with which he's saying them, but you can't get it out of the tone of there's, his voice. There's no it's affectation. Yeah. Like the, the best moment for me was when he asked Dave if he wants to hear the song. He's like, "Yeah, sing the song, Hal." And like yeah. that moment when he finally speaks. He's so speaks. pissed. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> sing the song. I want, I want you to sing the song, Hal. But uh, what I like about that moment, again, returning to um, language and reason, is that when he, when Dave is entering the the mainframe, right? You'll you'll if you look on the door, it says like Logic Center, yeah, or something like that, and. So that I mean, so he's removing Hal's brain, and when he finishes, that's when he enters the wormhole, right? That's that's when he's yeah. the movie really starts going off the rails, and you get a good 25, 20 minutes with no dialogue, right? Like the movie ends with after twenty yeah, the last like half hour, yeah, with no with no speaking, anymore. yeah. And it seems to me like what Kubrick is signaling to us there is he's dismantling logic, mm -hmm. right? Dismantling reason. And removing language, and those are like the markers of the age of man, right? Like that is what separated those apes, eventually, 
from right. from creatures is our I ability. Mean, beyond tool using, they always consider like language as the basis of civilization. Right, language and and reason. Right, that that we right. can we can logic, we can we can think about the next thing. And Hal did that better, right? Like you mm -hmm. see him beat him at chess, and you see him think three moves ahead later on when he they get him into the pod and they can read their lips and everything. Yeah. Our machines are beating us at our own game, yeah. so we need a new game, right? Yeah, like that. And so when he sends the well, especially, audience, well, leading up to that, yeah. and you had made reference to it earlier. The humans are just like completely infantilized. Yeah, right. Uh, they're they're just they're just so they're not ready for this. Yeah, the, the the liquid food and just the like the <laughs> the guy who's like the main character of the middle section of the movie. Uh -huh. He's like just constantly taking naps, like yeah, yeah. Like, and and yeah. He, he's taking naps, and he has to be strapped in, yes. right? Like like it's a car seat, yep. Right, like he can't even sleep on his own. He needs yeah. he needs the help of his tools in the bathroom. Like he can't use the bathroom he can't use correctly. the bathroom. He needs yeah. seven steps that are really long, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and to to you know relieve himself. Yeah. And so when he, we enter the when the audience and Dave enters the wormhole, like Kubrick is signaling to us, this will not be explained and it will not make sense. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> that is exactly what happens. Yeah, right. And that and that's what everybody. He, like reacts negatively to right. That's yeah. the, the scene people are most hostile to. Yeah, he, I don't, Charles, how do you feel about the? I, I, I timed it the ten minute uh, wormhole <laughs> sequence. Yeah. Um, if it's a wormhole, we don't even know. Yeah, yeah whatever the yeah. light show. I kind of expected it since I had heard of it. Yeah. Um, it was like visually pretty cool to see. Yeah, it still works. Effect, it except works. for I guess the weird like color distorted landscape that's very obviously like video footage from the helicopter of a canyon. Right, that's not that a That has an age as well, but yeah. like, um, yeah, it was definitely an interesting experience. It's a nice way to detach yourself from the rest of the movie, yes. which is presumably what he wanted to do. Yes. You're detaching from, you know, your like worldly perception of the universe into this next realm that he's entering. Right, post, what's, post what's nice that they give you brief glimpses of Dave. Those are the best shots. And but it's looks, great because it's like, oh well, Dave is still in present. this. Because yeah. it would be easy to like forget that. Yeah, and then here's this guy. Right. Or you might not even know that like he's that he's supposed to be traveling. He's the one that's. It's a little weird yeah. because they show the yeah. monolith in that awesome planet lined up scene with the monolith filling up the space mm -hmm. between. Yep. But instead of literally going into the monolith, which is what he presumably is doing. Um, they kind of pan the camera away from the monolith into the blackness of space, and then the Stargate like shows up. So that's a little <laughs> Stargate <odd>. Atlantis, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, rather than the camera yeah. entering the monolith, the monolith is entering space. And I, I mean, if you look at, I, I was watching for it this time, but there are monoliths all over this movie, right? Like that rectangle shows up numerous times throughout the I film. I noticed a lot of like usage of shape like there's a lot of yeah. rectangles there's a lot of circles mm -hmm. uh, i don't know if i could figure out like a consistent theme or line between them i know that all the tools that we had were represented with rectangles so it kind of traces back to the initial monolith um epiphany yep uh from pre-human times yeah yeah and like there's a shot where one of the spaceships is entering a landing zone or something shot from inside looking out into space and the yeah. Entry port makes a perfect rectangle that looks just like the monolith. The big obvious one is Hal, right? Hal is shaped yep. just like the monolith, right? So, but the they pull out his memory cores, which are yes, like yeah, also just like rectangles. It, yeah. it, it's everywhere. It's all over the movie. All the the windows from the spaceship looking out yep. at, for the on the moon are rectangles, and then of course the first rectangle we see 
is the screen. Yeah. Right? Like that's what that three minute opening is. It's that's that's our first monolith is yeah. the is the movie screen. And it's really arrogant of Kubrick to say that he's going to be introducing an entire new language of film to us. <laughs> because <laughs> that is really how you read that. Um, but he, he, he kind well, of does. Well, it's also like a very of the time, right? Yeah. To have like, I, I guess it's kind of late for that. But it's not like crazy for a movie from the 60s to have like an overture. Uh, right. But it's a... And it's an a, intermission. Yeah, the one that we saw. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a pitch black overture. Yeah. Right. That doesn't that has this quasi song like it's not really an overture because an overture is going to hit on every song that appears in the movie. Yeah. And this one doesn't. So it feels like I mean, the Hateful Eight does something similar, right? Does yeah. It, it. Yes. I mean, it has an overture, but the there's a picture on the screen. It's not just a black screen. Yeah. Right. For, and, yeah. It's just like a landscape. Right. right? And there's like a horse it's or something. Silhouette or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that functions more like a traditional overture. This feels like it's much more a part of the movie itself. Right, like you yeah. can't just come in halfway through. Like you're supposed to be sitting there looking at this black screen yep. for those three minutes, and uh, that's how I see it. Is that he's saying like, film is the new form, and I'm doing something new with it. He's advancing our understanding of film, like the monolith. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Prehistory. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised to even like title the different sections. Yeah. I, I bet there was some studio had that force him to like add titles or something. Yeah, and he found again really arrogant ones, right? Like the dawn of man. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, and then the Jupiter next one is beyond like, the infinite. Beyond yeah. the infinite. Yeah. Right? Like there's no more pretentious way. What's the middle one too? I forget that one. It's like uh, it's eight, it just says eighteen months later. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. There, like was, there, the was no, the there was no title between the ape sequence and the first space sequence because you get that sweet bone to satellite cut. Yeah, that, that's magic cut. I mean, that's the most famous, one of the most famous shots in the movie. I'm glad right? that yeah. I somehow had not heard of that one because that was a treat to see. Oh, yeah, it's so great. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. Like, it, it seemed maybe a little on the nose or obvious, but, like, I didn't expect it coming, and it was very elegant and, like, Well, and again, it, it, it primes the audience, right? Because that, that's Kubrick's telling us that most of the themes and narrative are going to be communicated visually, right? We're not going to be, he's not going to explain things to us with words, right? right. He, he's going to, the, the message there is crystal clear, but the meta message about how you're supposed to watch this movie is yeah. also clear. Yeah, which he's, he's training us, right? He's teaching <laughs> us how to watch 2001 as we watch it. Yeah, he's also like, he's getting you ready for music too. It's like, yeah. there's going to be a lot of music. The music carries a lot of the narrative yep. in the film. Yeah. It, it fills the absence of you know what what should be like something else right yeah 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 like it covers for the void the, the music is interesting too because it's all like german waltz music yeah so i mean it's these classic tunes i get these important sounding songs yeah it was Were like, these songs like very well known or used before this movie yeah of course yeah, yeah. i don't I mean, these, really the, know again like the nazis love would have loved this soundtrack <laughs> yeah. like the the timpani drum like yeah. Uh, the dun 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 dun. dun. Yep. Like that was almost the the Third Reich's like national anthem. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was interesting too. Watching it, that I was like, uh, like now I'm just like so like on edge about fascism. I'm just looking for it everywhere. But it's it's kind of overt in, in the music. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it also conforms with Kubrick's style of filmmaking, right? Like he's a taskmaster. Well, not just that, but there's no sign of like. A government, really, but we yeah. do get signs of, of companies, right? So there's like yeah, this, like there's like this, like libertarian future where <laughs> companies like really run run, run everything, society, yeah. yeah. And 
so to pair that with this, I mean, it's probably like a a bit deep on on the reading level. So we might just be connecting these things, but it, it feels like it's there. Yeah. No. No. Like, I think that's legitimate. Yeah. That's, Wait, do we know that so the like, agency that has the moon base is a company and not a government space agency? There's, there's I don't no, remember like, if that was mentioned, but they talk about like other nations stations. So I assumed it was like the U.S. moon base. Yeah, but I don't. I don't remember. I, I could be misremembering it, but I don't remember them saying like a country. Like okay. it's clear that it's Americans. Well, because he and, says he's American, he has to do the voice thing at the beginning. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. But 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 what we see is not NASA. What we see is Pan Am. Yeah, yeah, and, and Hilton and Howard Johnson. Yeah, and yeah Bell. Exactly. Yeah. So there's this like, again, this like perfect like libertarian fascist state. Right. There's right. no there's <laughs> yeah. no American flags in this movie. No. Right. Yeah. No was there not flags. one in the background of the conference room? There were two flags. I don't remember exactly what the flags were, though. I don't I I remember don't, seeing one. I don't think one. so. Although there's there's more monoliths, right? Like those big white screens look just yeah, like... they're white, though. Monoliths are black. They're right. <laughs> it, it was a strange backdrop decision for the conference room. It was. I think that's why... I love that scene, though. It's so yeah. goofy and awkward, because, like... You see, you, you get the layout. The camera doesn't really move. Yeah. Uh, the one guy stands up, walks all the way around the room, yeah. just gives a speech, and then walks all the way back. And then the <laughs> other guy stands up and goes all it's the like way around the room. It's like you're in an actual yeah. business meeting. Yes. Yeah, it's awful, yes, right? It <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to do that. I didn't feel like it was that bad because yeah. he was talking about, like, But again, it's like this, like, secrets. perfect corporate future, right? Where this, like, little corporate board, like, makes yeah. decisions yep. for everybody. And keeps secrets yeah. from everybody, evidently. Yeah. Right? And lies to them. About yeah, classic alien plot. Yeah, classic yeah. alien plot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that kind of gets us to another weird thing about this movie is the acting, like, outside of hell. Yeah. Like, it's really, I, I don't want to say, it's not bad. Like, there's a lot of really good performances Well, here. they're, like, detached. There's, right. Yes, but they're, they're so unhuman, right? Like, it, it's these people that aren't... Well, the <laughs> they don't have any inner life, right? Like, what, yeah. we don't know anything about them beyond this is an astronaut. Well, the astronauts they're having a rough time. The astronauts are funny when they're having this conversation where they're like, "I think Cal's gonna murder us." Yeah, <laughs> and the other guys like, "Yeah, I think so." Yeah, too. <laughs> probably. Yeah, they're like, I think we need to kill it first before yeah. it kills us. Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. That's yeah. Bummer. Well, <laughs> the first space sequence, I, I thought they acted pretty normally, but yeah, definitely the two astronauts in Discovery were weirdly robotic yeah like he witnesses his partner get murdered on screen and just flat lines yep completely flat lines yeah he just yeah. kind of goes to the pod and flies out while his buddy's drifting through space dead and has like no stress on his face the yeah, closest he, just lets he gets the body go yeah too he's like yeah. uh right I need well, that's, which is exactly like, he's resigned his fate like or that is exactly like how you should act in a situ- in like an extreme situation like yeah. being as calm as possible is the best way to go about things certainly like, I think so the closest which, an, which gets... an astronaut should be trained for right however a, it feels unsettling right it's a yeah. weird choice for a movie yes right and yeah. a, a, certainly a purposeful choice yeah uh, especially considering Kubrick's you know semi-hostile relationship with actors yes like, <laughs> i feel like he's he certainly told them to not act like people right like that yeah as they're getting further away from earth they're becoming less like human beings are and yeah. more like something else when like during the first third of the movie with all the apes all i could think about was how the ape screams are voiced over 
and the yeah. real soundtrack is just Kubrick screaming <laughs> at these actors. <laughs> Kubrick screaming in <laughs> in ape costume to act more right. like apes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was and I know for sure there's an audio recording out there <laughs> of that happening. Yeah. yeah, maybe somebody even mixed it over the, the uh, original. I'd watch that. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> yeah. in a warehouse the director somewhere. I mean, right. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm certain that that's what happened, though. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and I, I was trying to. He's pick not up. known as like a sort of a Fellini level tyrant, but he's like sort of one step up from there. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's almost more like an absent-minded professor thing. I remember yeah. reading. Uh, Charles, you don't know who Fellini is, right? Eight and a half. I've heard the name, but I don't think I've. Yeah, seen Yeah, so he's like an Italian yeah. maestro, probably on the level of, of Kubrick for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah, but there, there's a story about the making of. Uh, yeah. Barry Lyndon. I don't know if you've seen Barry Lyndon, but it's no. like his period piece. Yeah. It's kind of hard to watch. Um, and he would, what he would do is like have actors show up telling them that he'll probably need them that day. Yeah. Not need them. So they just sit around the cast, sit around the set all day and yeah. do that for like three weeks. Just like have yeah. people show up and not do anything yeah. and get paid and like take up space for th- three, four weeks at a time. He, I, I don't know if this story is true, but I heard about during the recording of The Shining, he would call Stephen King, and he's shooting on the West Coast, Stephen King is on the East Coast, so he would call in the middle of the night, so like 3 a.m. the phone would ring, Stephen King would be like, what do you want? what's up, and Stanley Kubrick would just be like, does, does the existence of ghosts imply that there's a god? And they like, want to get into these like, philosophical conversations. And then he's like, are you a religious man? And like, Stephen King was like, well, I, like, I'm, I, you know, I was a Catholic or something or whatever he was. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not anymore, but I do believe in a god. Like, yeah. He's having this conversation in the middle <laughs> of the sleep. night. Yeah. Yeah. And he, what, in the 80s, right? It would have been? Yeah. When the Shining? Sh- it might have been like 79 like, or 79. something. 79. So like. King's like still an addict at that point too. Yeah, so maybe so, he was awake and a functional alcoholic. Yeah, so he, so, <laughs> he might have been wide awake. No, he said he it was miserable apparently. Yeah, and he would call him like every night maybe. and like try and have these philosophical conversations about God, which is like not in the movie at all. It like has nothing to do with the movie at all. Yeah, nice. Although maybe it, yeah. like I mean that's Kubrick's reputation, right? Like that's why there's yeah. that documentary about crazy theories that people have about The Shining is he invites this stuff. Yeah, right? you like, think it's just, hmm. I mean, I haven't heard stories about him doing cocaine, but it sounds like he's having these, like, cocaine-like <laughs> separations <laughs> from I, reality. Yeah, I'd be more surprised if he didn't do cocaine at some point. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's shooting yeah. in the 70s and 60s, so, like, <laughs> right, right. you don't want to be square. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But, I, mean, it, it's cer- I mean, it's certainly in this movie, right? Like, that. It, yeah. there's so much space and so much weird, unexplained things that it's very easy for the audience to bring a lot to the film and insert it into the film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the, I think The Shining invites it more, but this one still does, right? When you're talking about yeah. a film that covers literally the entirety of human existence and whatever comes next. And when you get this like geometric abstraction at the end, that's like yeah. perfect for, it's like almost tie-dye too, right? So yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's perfect for 1968, right? We're right. about to hit 69. Right. And so it's like the art of the time is like, this is matching really well. Where you right. get these like very intense colors, you get the obliteration of the image. Yep. Um, and so it's just being here captured on film. Although I don't know if it's like purely abstract though, because no, like, there's that one weird bit where you get the four floating diamond-shaped things that are obviously yes. some sort of vessel, yeah, yeah, or building or construction. Yeah, and the that was very it's weird. still just like a plane too. So yeah. like there, there's no like true like obliteration of the image. Well, we we do get just like flashes of like color. There's still like we are still seeing like a thing. It seems like right. you're witnessing yeah. like yeah. some 
otherworldly beings realm. Yeah. Well, I think well, I mean, that's what it is. It's like the, the, in the book, at least what's happening is there's these like trans dimensional aliens mm -hmm. and yeah. the end is explained that, well, what do you think is the end? Let's start, <laughs> let's start there and then we can talk about what's in the say novel. anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I wasn't really sure at first, but after some discussion and like, well, that's a normal reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you were sure yeah. as soon as after some good. after some discussion and Anything some reading, is true, so. uh, it, it <laughs> seems to be him being reborn as the higher being that Wilson keeps alluding to of like us advancing beyond our own restrictions well, as beyond humans. humanity. Yeah, it's the intelligent yeah. design, right? You're, you're yeah. the next level of the space human. Now, right, right, right. I mean, yeah. and, and you yeah. see it yeah. in that the wormhole... Intergalactic right. species now. Right, yeah. the, the, the wormhole uh, Stargate sequence has clearly has birth matter in it. Right. Yeah. Like there, there, there are explicit Some weird inky. Yep. It, it's not inky. Like it's spermy. Like that is well, yeah. that is what's going on there. And the spaceship is a, is a giant like sperm. Right. Yeah. Like it looks just like it. it <laughs> yeah. Which is no mistake at all. Like it. Well, very, what's important though first is he ages very rapidly. Yeah. And then what? Like time just like falls apart. Right. Yeah. So he like there's echoes of himself throughout whatever he's brilliantly in. done yeah. and how weird it is. Yeah, because like he he's watches himself and then suddenly age. there's yeah. yeah. Right. He's looking at himself yeah. and then that becomes the reality, I yep. guess. Yeah. I don't yeah. know no, how to explain exactly the it. significance of why that was done that way, but it is like spectacularly weird. Yeah. Well, I, it, my it, my thing would just be that like time has fallen apart, right? Yeah. What in whatever dimension he's now in, like okay. time has collapsed, so it, it begins to like fold on itself. And he ages like very rapidly. Right. I don't know if you have like a different. No, I think that's yeah. exactly what happens. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, he and he's communicating his meaning there, right? Kubrick, when he uh, arranges the scene that way, like it, we, even though it's this weird sequence that's depicting this incredibly abstract idea, most for the most part, I think you can tell what's going on once he gets to the weird white panel Victorian room, right? Like that time. What's well, a prison? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. So I think he's getting his point across. Yeah. It, again, without language, just yeah. purely visually. Yeah. So, uh, from what I've read, what happens in the book is that there's like <laughs> these like interdimensional aliens, which are okay. represented by the the monoliths, or that's like their technology their or something. Um, and they, he's essentially just in like a human zoo, and they're like observing him. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and he has sort of this like. And it happens in the movie where he thinks he's being watched, and it just turns out that it's himself because like time kind of like folds. In, in on itself mm -hmm. but what's happening in the book is these aliens are like observing him and like like gathering down yeah yeah he's in a zoo essentially yeah right. but, I mean, and, which is not yeah. as clearly depicted in the movie like I think Kubrick's less interested in that yeah I think Clark is though yeah oh yeah yeah very yeah. much so Kubrick uh, never really goes into what created these monoliths right I, I, he very clearly doesn't want to explain it right yeah. like he, yeah. wa he wants the open question yeah. um, and he wants and, to confuse the audience it doesn't set it up at all for like the sequels that <laughs> yeah yeah sequel I haven't seen any of the sequels uh yeah well I think only one's been made into a movie twenty ten okay. that's what I thought yeah it's a Roy Schneider movie I think yes I, I looked it up and yes it is and uh, Clark wrote that too yes yeah and he yeah. wrote he, he wrote, wrote like a, a whole series, series. there's a three thousand one too where. Um, these sort of like future humans find the frozen astronaut out in space and revive him. And it's it's about it's like his Paul, story. That's in Paul 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 in, in <laughs> yeah. A thousand years later. Yeah, so just like you know, Captain America, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's early Captain America. Yeah. That's what it is. Although that Captain America was probably written before. Uh, <laughs> well this. before, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, 2010, the year we make contact. I have uh, a terrible subtitle. Like, why does this It's probably the subtitle of the book. It probably though, was, so. but yeah. It's a Peter Hyams movie, also written by Arthur C. Clarke and the director. Ray Scheider, John DeLithgow, Helen Mirren, that's Bob a, Balaban. Like, that's a pretty good cast. Yeah, much bigger names than what yeah. were in this movie. Douglas like, Rain came yeah. back. I don't, I don't know. think I recognized anyone in this I didn't. Movie. Like, I don't yeah. know who, what these people did after I've never this. seen them in anything else. Yeah. Which is a kind of a weird move for Kubrick because his other movies, like there's a at They're least very star driven, right? Yeah. At least yeah. one big name attached. Tom Cruise. You have Tom Cruise, Kirk Douglas, Jack Nicholson, Arthur yeah. or um, Arthur C. Scott, George C. Uh, Scott. Yeah. Um, you uh, so you have this these big names attached to it, and he, he doesn't do it in this one. He doesn't do it in Barry Lyndon either. Uh, kind of an unconventional move. Uh, and it works. It works though, fine. Yeah. Not I, that we would recognize like sixties actors, anyways. But like. Right. I, <laughs> I, but I wonder how much of it is him consciously not picking a big name, right? Because this is not a movie driven by characters. This is not a character-driven film yeah. at all, right? Like, what are the describe Dave? Right. Like, what are his no, qualities? He's anonymous. Just a, right. Like, like Hal is much more life. He's clearly very yes. intelligent and very resourceful. No, right. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. He's just like a military guy. That's, right. Exactly. That's all he is. He's he right. might as well not have a name. And he. Well, Dave is that right? Right. This is like the most anonymous like white guy name ever. <laughs> exactly. Right? And his, yeah. the other astronaut is named Frank. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, so Dave so. and Frank. Yeah. Dave yeah. and Frank. <laughs> so, and I I feel like he's Kubrick is. In a in a very intentional way, choosing these people that no one knows yeah. don't have most of the characters like don't even have names. It's like yeah, mission controller, astronaut, lunar shuttle captain, right? Yeah. So, so it, one's one's a moon watcher. Yes, <laughs> fourth the fourth build cast is moon watcher. Whatever the hell that yeah. means. Yeah. <laughs> so it, you have this movie that's not only concerned with moving beyond language and logic, but moving beyond identity. Right, like we're we're past the point of a singular person, and we're past the point of the ego. Like, how does by the end of that movie, how is Dave telling the difference between himself and the world around him? Right, like it's yeah, you can't you can't like once time starts folding in on itself, you stop being a person. Right, like you you stop existing as an ego driven entity. Which is funny though, because then you have like the most extreme Victorian setting around him, which is right. like these signs of like human hyper individualism yeah. and, and self. No, but like civilization. Like, it's yeah. like this sort yeah. of like pinnacle moment of civilization where you have like everything is like incredibly baroque and like Yeah. Right. They, and, uh, and and very very much calling attention to us. Right. Yeah. It's, it's calling it, like look, look look at all these things. But that also I have. like hyper modern at the same time, yeah. right? Because the yeah. floor is like lights and the mm-hmm. ceiling is lights and Right. Yeah. Right. So it was it, just the floor, yeah. I think. That was lit up, but it's still. It's very bright, Victorian like that. Whole yeah, scene. like I mean, that's yeah. what you think of when you see that scene, right? It's like it's it's kind of assaultive in its brightness. Yeah, yeah. It's very jarring. I wondered why he, they chose to make it set in that kind of room, but uh, when I think about it, it very aesthetically differentiates itself from the very modern sci-fi aesthetic of the rest of the film. So right. it's another way to disconnect yourself from. You know, this future. Well, again, it's like if you were an alien trying to understand like human settings, right? And you're <laughs> and you put these like weird things together, you would say like, "Oh, well, 
this painting makes sense on the wall and it's this crazy like Victorian painting and like well and, and getting <laughs> so is all the furniture get, like, getting yeah. back to the thematics of the film yeah. it's it's not just this Victorian era it's the clash right not the band but like the, the clash between the Victorian <laughs> I wish stuff it was the clash the band <laughs> the the Victorian stuff and the the modern uh-huh. room not coming together well not blending right yeah. like looking really out of place in the same way that people do in space right like it, it, the, that room clashes and doesn't make any sense just like it doesn't make any sense for dave to attempt to do what he did right it doesn't make any sense for him to try to get to jupiter yeah so uh charles would you recommend this movie <laughs> i think we've covered that pretty well right i get the feeling like a lot of people would not enjoy this movie um so it might be hard I, I would want to recommend it to everyone and understand that people might not like it, basically. I think you should watch it. Like, well, I, I think everybody should be forced to watch it. I agree. Um, and, and don't make my mistake, right? Because I would have never recommended this movie to you. Like, I, I really <laughs> did. I was, like, I was like, when you picked it, I was like, this is going to be a train wreck. And, uh, <laughs> and you never know, I, was, I guess. I mean, and I was wrong. It happened was... to fit like, my aesthetic sensibilities like perfectly. Like Every scene was so beautifully laid out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it, like, you know, photography 101, how you lay out. No, this scene. is a film school movie. Like you, yeah. you go to film yeah. school and you study this film. As well as right. everything else Kubrick made, right? Like yeah. if you, if study that's shining, what you liked about this movie, this. watch every Kubrick film. Because yeah. they're all like that. Yeah, like Wes Anderson is like, yeah. steals so much from Kubrick. Yeah. Like so many people steal so much from, from these well, There, there yeah. were a few yeah. things that we didn't, we didn't get to that I wanted to bring up about like, the sci-fi yeah. elements of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because I loved how forward-looking this movie was and how accurate yes. a lot of its technology is. Yep. Um, like, you know, you get, like, the obvious things like video calling that we have now. Um, one thing I didn't notice when I first watched it, but that I read about after, was that the fact that all the screens were flat screens was revolutionary yeah. at the time. And I didn't even notice it at all because I'm so used to flat screens existing. But back then, yeah, they were all CRT monitors. Yeah. yeah. And he actually had to specifically do some filmmaking tricks to make the screens flat. He had to project um, Was it the, back? the scene onto okay. a flat re- thing because you, you couldn't make mm-hmm. the screen flat like that otherwise. And that was you know, a revolutionary thing for him to do at the time. And that was amazing. Um, the, the astronauts had iPads, yes, essentially. That, yeah, I really caught that cool. on this viewing, that they had tablets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which are monolith-shaped, coincidentally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Even so the graphics, like, he, he, I forget what the name of the artist is, but he worked with some designer to, like, design, like, all the screens, and then, like, the um, this scene where the, like, interdimensional scene at the end is also, like, this some graphic designer like came in and, and did all of it until like well yeah. it was high as as high as a kite. I'm um, sure. sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I also loved um, the aesthetic of all the space vehicles and stations and everything. Yeah, you can too. very They're clearly so see how it's heavily influenced all sci-fi art beyond that. Like I look at Ralph McQuarrie's Star Wars concept art, and it all looks like concept art for 2001. Sure, but with a bit more fantasy in it, or like when the when the shuttle is coming into the space station and you have the airlock hangar bay scene, that looks exactly like the Death Star hangar that the Millennium Falcon gets yes, sucked yes. into. Uh, Dune is also like a lot of the stuff that appears in Dune. Like, yeah, I mean, you pick a sci-fi movie. Yeah. Right? Every single one is going to be influenced by this movie. Yeah. Like, pick one. It, it well, but it's interesting, though, because it's also like, what I think what Charles is getting at is that it's like sort of a 60s version of the future 
of some things, but it's also like very forward thinking. Yeah, so like that's good like the, yeah. like the food was like straight out of the Jetsons, right? Where you like <laughs> eat this little pill or you eat this paste, and that's like food in the future. Right. Right. Um, but then other things actually like hold up really well because they were like very forward looking like the and they also have like, that very yeah. kind of clunky yeah. or used look to them that I like so much about Star Wars yeah. and Alien right it, it had shades of Alien yeah, that in too. that same way yeah um, one thing I, I thought was kind of amusing was that beautiful scene where they're landing on the moon and the big dome opens up and you have that shot, good shot straight from the bottom up yeah. with the landing pod right in the middle and yeah. I kind of wonder if one of those slices was like the inspiration for the Star Destroyers. I thought the same thing, actually. Uh, yeah, they had that shape, <laughs> yeah. and someone like something clicked in someone's head when they were watching this, and they decided to make spaceships like that. Probably. Yeah. Well, it's such a yeah. dramatic shape, right? Like yeah. it's just so striking. Not just that, but yeah. like the sort of like the gravity, the way that he treats gravity is so smart, right? Because it becomes this like little M.C. Escher scene mm-hmm. in every scene where like people come out upside down and then they turn. That's something else I liked about it. He like gradually trains you to understand how space works. Mm -hmm. Because he starts off easy. You know, you have a pen floating and they have grippy shoes. And then they have the next scene in the circular lunar pod where the lady does the upside down thing and goes into the other side to give the so, pilot food. A famous and, shot, right? Like the, yeah. the, the way, didn't he end up like rotating the camera? Yeah, like well, you, no, you rotate the whole right. scene. You put it right. on rollers and then that was roll it. like the whole right. set. Right. But then you have the and scenes the in the Discovery. That was it. Yeah. Where they have the angles coming from all over the place. You yeah. kind of lose a sense of where things are supposed to be, which makes sense for space because there's no more down or up. Yep. Yep. Really, and he doesn't conform the camera views strictly to what their artificial gravity dictates. Yeah, uh, and it's beautifully done. It's very playful. Yeah, like uh, you'll you always figure out where things are. Yeah, you have shots of like Dave standing upright and Frank standing sideways. Yeah, those are really cool. Yeah, this, and, uh, and and especially cool in like a filmmaking sense, kind of a how did he do that way? Right. I noticed yeah. the first scene where the astronauts jogging around the the Discovery yeah. ring. And I kind of thought to myself, like, how did he do that? Is this some sort of weird camera trickery? Because, uh, you know, he's running around, but he's not running into a camera or anything. Yeah. Could he have, or did he build a set? And he, he built a set, huh? Yeah. 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 That's a rotating set. Yeah. I just kind of came to this realization as I was watching. That's exactly like, oh my what God, happened. He actually went, he committed to that. Yeah. It, um, and yeah, that's definitely how they did it, and that's incredible. And it totally yeah. pays off; like it holds up. So yeah, well. no question. Yeah. No question. It still looks gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. We we have like the sort of constant theme of George Lucas is terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would all be CGI. No, yes, that would it look would. Gar- like garbage. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't work at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks yep. for this thanks movie for from reminding the 60s. me of that. Yeah. Still yeah. looks great today. Yeah. And it's, well, it's we hadn't amazing. talked about fascism in a while, so I had to bring that back. There too. it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yes to recommend or what's what's the Yeah, I mean like I think you stick to your convictions. Like I yeah. I've like I said before, I've probably never reacted to a movie this way, this strongly. Well, then you've got to recommend it to everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I would recommend it to people uh with the reservation that perhaps it's not for everyone. They know um, that already. Like but <laughs> this yeah. was like a new movie watching experience for me. It, like it really opened to my eyes. I think that's as strong as an endorsement gets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm extremely glad right. I saw it. Strong, yes. Uh, yes. It's a new addition to my favorite movies list, which, you know, you very rarely get additions to that kind that's, of thing. That's a true fact. Yeah. Cool. What do we get to watch next week? Your your pick was so abruptly usurped last time. <laughs> uh, I'm okay with it, though, because okay. I, I love 
to see old movies on the big screen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I saw Jaws a couple of years ago on yeah. the big screen, and that mm. was the, like, that it's is a, how Jaws It's a different experience. Uh, we're not going to watch Jaws, though. Uh, <laughs> not yet. Um, so I, I would like to do my favorite movie. So this is the 1982 The Thing. Okay. Uh, which right. is a John Carpenter-Kurt Russell mashup, one of many, um, but I think it's the best one. And uh, I, I love this movie. And let's do it. Look forward to watching let's... it. So this is a sci-fi horror movie. Right. So we, we haven't have done a horror movie. Yet. I, I did fingers. okay with Alien, but I'm usually a wimp for horror movies. So we'll see how I can take it. Yeah. This is uh... maybe I'll leave the lights on. <laughs> this is a real horror movie. <laughs> so re- yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll keep the yeah. lights on. That's a good plan. Watch yeah. it during the day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So right. thanks, everybody. Next week. See yeah. you next week.